0: Okay, let's turn to the Paul's letter to Ephesians. We continue our working through the beginning of chapter 2. Our focus will be on verses 4 through 6, but I'll read verses 1 through 6 for context. This is the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace who have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Since the reading of our passage for tonight, let us pray. O Lord God, you have given this word to us. You have inspired it through your Holy Spirit. You have granted that it would be preserved for us even here and translated in a way that we could understand it. And now grant, O Lord, that we may understand your word and live according to it by your grace, through the power of your Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we had the dismal news of who we are apart from Christ. We saw as in the first three verses of this passage that who we are in Christ is dead in trespasses and sins. This was a um, uh, bad news which even got worse when it turns out we were held in captive by the prince of the power of the air, we were members of his army, following after him in sin and darkness. Uh, and then it turns out even worse than that in verse three. It turns out we were by nature children of wrath. There's no way to escape our nature. We cannot, uh, determine as a uh, January 1st resolve, New Year's Eve resolution, I'm going to get better. I'm going to be morally more upright this uh, year uh, because by nature we fall back into sin. This is just the, the fact of life. For us, apart from Christ, uh, sin is a natural thing. It is what we do by nature. We uh, fall away from the living God. And unless He were to intervene, we would be utterly hopeless in the world. But... Then we have this wonderful, amazing, uh, overwhelming truth of the gospel in verse 4, where we pick up tonight, uh, with the two words which are stunning in their uh, brevity and power, but God, however God, we were by nature children of wrath, allies with Satan, uh, lost in our sin and transgression. However, God, God did something. And that is the power of the gospel to us, is the truth that God has intervened in our lives. He is the one who has rescued us from this dismal, hopeless situation, locked in to this uh this lost estate that we had inherited. We were in Adam, uh, fallen into sin and misery with no escape by our own terms. There's no human resource uh, for escaping on our own. But God, He has intervened. He has done something. He has done something spectacular. Uh, and we are the beneficiaries of his acting on our behalf. That's what this passage is all about. This is a, a stunning statement of God's intervention. And there are just the grammar of this uh, makes this really clear. It's interesting when you're reading this. Uh, how, first of all, you have this focus on uh, you. It opens in verse one. And you were dead in t- your trespasses and sins. Um uh, and then you switch in verse five where it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, actually in the original it's the same form. It's the same words actually repeated identically in verse five from verse one. Uh, and they've translated a little bit differently in the English standard, but it's the same words. All he's done is shifted. To, instead of you, us. We. We are the ones now. Because we all are, by nature, children of wrath. You see, it's interesting that in Paul's day and in his culture, Jewish people thought by being connected uh, genetically to Abraham and the other fathers, that they had a certain protection from God's wrath and sin and uh falling into sin they it gave them a certain protection, and they relied upon that connection to Abraham. You just read John eight uh Jesus says that don't don't say that you had Abraham as your father, your father is the devil. he's talking to Jewish people here, you know this is John eight, you can see that and elsewhere. In the scripture, there's this, there's this point that you can't rely upon your being born of this family to protect you from sin and God's wrath. You have to have some salvation, uh, from outside of you. Uh, and that's why Paul does this. Paul has shifted from you as if, you know, when he says you, he's really talking to the Gentiles here. People who are not Israelites. Uh, that's been the focus uh, in the first chapter where he is. He's been focusing on the fact that you Gentiles, you are now included. You are now brought in to the saving grace of God. And this was his plan all along. This is not some new thing that he he just thought up. But this was according to his purpose from before the foundation of the world. You're a part of this plan now, and he's brought it to pass in Christ Jesus. So now the announcement to the nations being brought in to fellowship with God and hope out of this hopeless situation comes to everybody. There's no discrimination whatsoever. Uh, and then he, at the same time, talks about, well, then we as well. We we are joining together. You're joining us and we're joining you, Jew and Gentile together. There's no distinction. We are one, one body of Christ joined together. Uh, and later he's going to make this point in chapter 2 very strongly. There's now no more boundaries. There's no more dividing wall. It's been cast down by Christ Jesus. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been cast down. So... This is why he shifts in verse 5 from you were dead in trespasses to we were dead in trespasses. And that's the direct object. Those are the people who are impacted by God doing something. And God is the subject of this. But God, uh, because he's rich in mercy... He has done something. It turns out there are three things. There are three things said of God in verse 5 and 6. First, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 5. And verse 6, He raised us up with Him. And then in verse 6 again, and seated us with Him in the high heavenly places. So that's what God has done. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say... He has worked in your hearts to such an extent that now you get a glimmer of good works such that as a result of his working with you and you agreeing with him and making strides toward goodness, you finally deserve his salvation. If, you know, you reach a threshold to where you finally do enough good works, He looks at that and says, okay, well, I find that acceptable now. You have done enough. This is really how Christianity is portrayed. And it's a complete lie. It's a fabrication. It isn't anything close to what he says here. Notice, while you were dead in trespasses, God made you alive. (laughs) You were dead in trespasses. He made you alive together with Christ. What did you contribute You were in your coffin. There's your contribution. You were dead. And then he made you alive. He went to the cemetery with people who had no contribution to make. They had had nothing to offer except deadness and trespasses and sin. And he intervened. It's the dry bones of Ezekiel thirty-seven. It says, "Dry bones, this valley filled with dry bones," and he sent his spirit to wash over these dry bones, and they came to life and resurrected glory. That's what he's done here. This is as clear a statement of the gospel as you could ever ask. And and this is why the gospel for us focuses on. God, which is what is stated here. But God, because He's rich in mercy, He has done this. Now, brothers and sisters, when Paul talks about God here, normally he's talking about the Father. This is the, this is the Father who has planned and executed this, uh, rich mercy and grace of the Gospel for us. The Father has determined this from before the foundation of the world, and now He's acted in history. And He's acted through His Son. And that's why here He says, But God, He's referring to the Father. If you want to see this, it's chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God the Father. And there is no one greater than God the Father, He is the Father. He's, he's the great God, the majestic one, seated on the throne of glory from all eternity with the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God forever. But it's particularly the Father's role to do this, to uh, bring this to pass through the power of the Spirit. Now, in our text, it says, but God being rich in mercy, it really is because he's rich in mercy. Uh, and I know why they do that. But God, because he's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. They just wanted to avoid two because statements in a row. That's why. Um, and I, I think that's understandable. But here it is what he says. God because he's rich in mercy and on account of, let's we'll just say that because, on account of the great love with which he loved us. And here, great love really is abundant love. It's not great in, in the sense of majestic. It's great in the sense of vast in its size. His love is beyond compare and unfathomable. Uh, there's just no putting a limit on his love. Uh, and, and so, what is it that motivated God to do this for us? Did He look at us in our need and say, well, yeah, these people are dead in trespasses and sins. But at heart, they really are good people. What He looked at were people who were by nature children of wrath. And now you go to Romans 5. People who are helpless. People who are... Wicked and people who are his enemies. These are the people he intervened for and raised out of that state. This is, this is the gospel in all of its stark reality. Stark in a, in a glorious sense of grace that's beyond measure. Now, this is an interesting place because rich, God, because he's rich in mercy, Riches is actually one of Paul's favorite uh, words in Ephesians. He says it many times. Uh, for example, in 1.7 and 2.7, riches of His grace. In one eighteen, riches of His glorious inheritance. 3.8, unfathomable riches of Christ. And in 3.14, riches of His glory. God is wealthy. He's rich. He has this, uh, fullness beyond compare of these things. Grace. He's given an inheritance which measures beyond measure for us. And the riches are in Christ Jesus, unfathomable. And here it's his abundant love. His, his grace and love are beyond measure. And then you get here the, the the thing that that uh, really is the heart of our theology, and that is that in Christ Jesus we have a mediator who has done it for us. We we talk about uh, Christ as our substitutionary mediator. He's the one who is substituted for us. It's in Him and because of Him there's this exchange of our being lost in sin and the transgressions that we are, He becomes our transgression. So, the wrath that we deserve as children of wrath, He took upon Himself the wrath of God on our behalf. The, the wrath that we deserve, He took so that we wouldn't have to take it. But now... The positive side of that is being expressed. He has made us alive together with Christ because Christ merited being made alive. He was righteous altogether, perfectly good by nature, a child of God. He is the son of God by nature, divine and human at the same time. He's the son of God by nature. He's the son of Mary by nature. One person, two natures. And that's, that's what uh, we have here is, by nature, he was good and upright. I love that line in Psalm 100. I love it because it's repeated several times in the Psalms to remind us, you know, praise the Lord for he is good. We don't think enough about God being good. I, I think I think about it more because I've spent enough time in the first century uh, among pagans <laughs> and pagan gods are not good. The gods of the Greeks and the Romans, they are not good. They're 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 liars or cheats, they're adulterers, they're shifty. They can't really be relied on. You give them uh, portions of the sacrifice, hoping that they'll pay attention and not be sleeping. Or off doing something you know wherever this is what happens with the pagan gods you can't really count on them all the time because they don't always come through you have to remind them of all the sacrifices you've given and you better pay attention this time so sometimes they played music or rang bells to try to wake them up and make sure that they're paying attention you clap you know you do things to make sure the gods are going to respond you know got, they've got to act and maybe they're taking a nap and they're not always good but God is good. He is good. His goodness absolutely. He is by nature good. And yet here, if He were good, how could He justify the wicked? How could He do this to us and be good? It's because it's in Christ Jesus. Because his wrath was poured out on his son and satisfied. So that God is still good and righteous altogether and upright. And then he did it in connection with us. The son is our mediator. In him we have being brought to life from the dead so that we were made alive together with Christ. And in Him, we're raised from the dead. When Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. Now, it hasn't happened bodily yet, but it has had an effect upon us. This has transformed our inner life so that we not no longer are by nature children of wrath anymore. We still struggle with the residue of that. But he has put in us a heart of flesh that we might obey his law. This is the promise of the new covenant, isn't it? I will take away your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. That's new birth. That's being raised from the dead. And that we experience when we come to Christ. He gives us to us that we might have uh, this experience of growing in holiness before him, no longer being children of wrath. And he's raised us. This is this is why in the previous section in chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty, he he said, I want you to know the overwhelming power of God toward you who believe when he raised Christ Jesus. You remember that passage? It's so stunning using every word for power possible. I want you to know the power unleashed on you when He raised Christ. Because it has an effect upon you. He will raise you from the dead. The resurrection from the dead that is awaiting us in the future is nothing less than a new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. He will transform everything. All the stars. All of the earth. All of us. Every human being who's ever lived will be transformed. Some to a resurrection of life and some to a resurrection of death. They will remain by nature children of wrath. But for us who know Christ Jesus, He's worked His work grace. Uh, because Christ is the firstborn from the dead, we will be raised. This resurrection is ours as an inheritance now. It is ours as a possession. When He's raised, we were raised and will be raised. We feel the effect of it now in regeneration. We will see the effect of it in resurrection of our body. And then finally, He didn't just raise us and let us sit around here. This isn't our home. We're not not destined to be raised and then come here in this world. We're seated with Him in the high heavenlies. So, He's, he's made us alive, He's raised us, and then seated us with Him in the high heavenlies. On the same throne, in the same realm, in the place of glory and power over death. That's what He's given us. That's what He says right here. So we're not raised to just sit around, we're, we're seated in Christ Jesus this is this gets to one of the little places in the book of Revelation that no one should uh, not know. Double negative there. Everybody should know. Uh, Revelation 3.21. To the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit on my throne as I have been granted by my father to sit on his throne. By the way, if you think about that, there's just one throne. <laughs> I've taken my seat on my Father's throne. That's my throne now. And I will grant you to sit on that throne with me. You're going to sit on the Father's throne with the Son. Now, this is figurative language, right? That's just a really big throne, all of us. It means we'll rule with Him. It's, a, it's figurative language of ruling with, God, with Christ. We, we're, not, we're not just raised as slaves to serve His every whim. We're raised as part of His family. To join him in rule over creation. This is, this is a remarkable heritage. This is why it's called later an unfathomable inheritance. Something you can't even imagine. It's so good. And, and so what you see here is Christ's mediation is not some theory. It's a powerful working of God toward us. And it will have its good effect. And then finally, in verse 5, he interjects this statement. It's a very interesting thing he does here in verse 5. He interjects this statement that word for word he's going to say again in verse 8. But he interjects it now to kind of uh, tickle our ears with it in verse 5. At the end there. Let me just read verse 5 and you'll hear it. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ... By grace you have been saved. It's right there. By grace you have been saved. And now in verse 8, he's going to repeat that exactly and expand on it. By grace you've been saved. And then are going to come back to that. By grace you've been saved. Word for word, he's going to repeat that. It's a preview. Uh, he likes to do that because it's so important. And now you know what grace means. Grace by definition is involving Christ's mediation. That's, that's a pretty important concept to understand. Grace, by definition, means that our inheritance is based on Christ's mediation. It's in Christ that we have all these benefits, not from our works, not from our merit, not from our value, but Christ's value and his merit. And that's, that's why he says this, by grace you are saved. The salvation comes from God. And now, brothers and sisters, there's really only one thing to do as a result of this. And the only thing you can do, uh, in response to this is praise the Lord. Live your life in thanks to the Lord. And later in, in verse 10, you'll see that you're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works aren't a burden for us. Obeying the Lord and following Him and wanting to please Him with actions of love toward our brothers and sisters in the Lord and our neighbors. This is like breathing for us. Because we don't gain anything by it. We already have everything. We've been seated with Christ in the high heavenlies. This is just a response of who we are now, and and it's just and it's a way of saying, "Oh man, this is so good," and uh, the thanks just overflows to where you know we want to we want to share good things with other people. That's all. That's all these. This is that's what the Christian life is all about. It's one of gratitude and thanks, just spilling over. So that others benefit from it. And this is, this is because the more you meditate on the gospel, the more you think, man, I just, I have everything already. I have an inheritance that can't be shaken. And it's beyond imagination how good it is. And I already have it. It's my possession in Christ Jesus. God has done this for me out of the blue. Who am I that he should do this? And then you just respond in thanks. And then you know this passage. Let me read this passage. I know it's a little late, but I've got to read Romans 8. This is this is how you respond to this good news. Paul himself is responding to this good news when he says in Romans 8:31, "What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us?" He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. We don't have words to capture such wonderful gospel, O Lord, the truths of your love and the riches of your grace. So we will simply repeat those words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We bless you and we thank you for these great things. Too wonderful for us, O Lord, but true. In Jesus' name, Amen.